When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Howdy and hey there, y'all. It's Ginger Elizabeth Taylor Minge, and I am here with another episode of Local Queen, where we celebrate your hometown sheroes. I'm very excited because today I am in Atlanta, Georgia, with the one and only, this name is probably my favorite drag name I've ever heard. I am going to put that out there. I am already obsessed with Tugboat the queen how are you i'm just living my best life we're, we're doing so well are you yeah are you it's very early i mean here we are we're up at the crack of noon the crack of noon <laughs> <laughs> the very crack of noon it's been a rough week for us because you know we're musical theater gays it it's been very sad i, I, I know we've lost uh, a legend we lost mr stephen sondheim but then we bonded over our love of Stephen Sondheim last night. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, as we sit here with the CNN center in the background of us, I openly sat in my bed at midnight reporting the error in their obituary saying that he was the composer for Gypsy. And I was like, actually, no, he just did the lyrics. Jill Stein did the, yeah. did the music. So they His didn't respond. Vi- so, okay, here's a little trivia for you. I know you already know it, I'm sure. What was the, his first project as composer lyricist? Composer lyricist. Was it Anyone Can Whistle? No, it was a funny thing happened on the way oh, to the forum. Yeah. See, look at me being trash. I have to yeah. get rid of my musical theater degree. Now, what other big hit did he uh, write the lyrics for? West Side Story. Of West course. Side Story, which is coming to cinemas this holiday season. <laughs> Can't wait. We are not uh, prom- we're not promoting them. We're not supported by them. <laughs> they do not sponsor us, but I saw the commercial this morning. It looks it looks good. It looks really good. Speaking of looking really good, you opened for us last night in our very first performance of Winter Wonderland with Gidget Galore and myself. We kicked off the tour last night here in Atlanta, and Tugboat did the opening for us. So spectacular, so fun, so different. That's what I always aim to be. Different, different is key. I never I never want to blend in. Isn't that funny though that like when we're younger, well, I speak for myself. I don't know much about you yet. Uh, but when we're younger, we try like so desperately to fit in. 100%. We just want to like don't notice me for being different. Mm-hmm. Just notice me for being exactly the same as everybody else. But then as we get older, we just kind of go, you know what? I'm so sick and tired of not being who I am to try to be who you are that I fucking hate me and you both. Exactly, especially growing up queer in the South. It's like you spend your whole life being like, nope, don't look at me. Please don't. Don't look. You're looking at me too much. No. Well, and then we find a pair of lashes and it's suddenly, it's like, look oh, at me. No, over here. Don't look at anyone else. Back ever. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so give us a quick little Reader's Digest version of Tugboat the Queen, kind of where she came from and who she is. Sure. So Tugboat the Queen is just your average five foot 15 unmarried housewife, um, just living her best life. She is just kind of chaos incarnate. Yeah. <laughs> Five foot fifteen uh, is that metric? That is that is metric. That's believe, wonderful. Yeah. That's good uh, for all of our that. our overseas <laughs> listeners. <laughs> 
unmarried housewife. Unmarried housewife, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's just a mess. I actually, I the first, I had a former drag life that, that passed away. I thought I was somebody. My name was Vanity Frost. She was doing so much, and she was absolute garbage. I think the first song I ever performed was I Will Survive, because I'm like, oh, I'm 20. This is what gay is. Right? Yeah. I've seen this on an episode of Will this. and Grace. <laughs> This'll do. This'll be it. It was not it. Yeah, she quickly died. I think she had three performances, and I'm like, we're just gonna leave her in the in the suitcase for just a few years, and we'll get back. That's fine. And you know what? Maybe she'll she'll resuscitate one day. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Anything is possible at this point. I so I've always been Ginger Minge when I very first started. When I when I was like dabbling with the idea of starting drag, I really wanted to be Alexia Michelle. It's another one of those real bougie, like, I'm going to... She's somebody. I'm going to wear shoulder pads and fight you in a pond kind of names, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but my drag mother gave me my name, and it just kind of fit, and it stuck with me. So I've had it my entire career. But I'm also a little bit jealous that I never got that time to, like, just have the terrible drag names oh, and, like, 100%. have fun with it. So now I've decided I'm going to, like, I'm, I'm just going to change my name every year. You might as well. I mean, you, you've, you've got a name for yourself. People are going to follow you. you yeah, well, and then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I can be on another season of Drag Race. <laughs> I'll just keep changing my name. Uh, now, I think I'm going to change it to, like, Charity Case or something. I think that... <laughs> so when people say they want to donate to charity, I'll be like, I'm right here. It's me. Please. I'll take it. <laughs> Arms are open wide. So how did you get your start in drag? And how long ago was that? So the first time I was ever put in drag was actually by my grandmother. <laughs> I was I was raised by my grandparents, and I remember it was my best friend's 13th birthday party. Had to have a costume because it was on Halloween. You couldn't get in. A big to-do. I knew we had a costume. Didn't have a costume. Couldn't find it in the attic. She's like, well, we have my clothes, and we're about the same size. So... <laughs> So your grandmother's five foot fifteen as She's well. She's also five foot fifteen. I was only I was I was probably five twelve at that time. Oh, so okay. like a little a little shorter, but we've always been built like a refrigerator box. Ah, I could have fit into this family. Yeah. Well, I don't know, maybe this way, not this way. I don't know. Nano Nano was shorter, yeah. Okay, I am your nano. Yeah, yep, yep. This is really an intervention. This is, it's not really a podcast. Pulls off the mask, it's nano. It's time. <laughs> Um, but no, but then when I got to college, my room, of course I had a roommate who did drag and like taught me everything of which all I've forgotten and have thrown out the window since then. Cause I'm like, Ugh, I won't do it that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was so, so, I was so into it. It was so fancy. And then it quickly died. I was like, this is not, this is not the look. Looking back at the pictures of me first in drag, I'm like, it's all powder. And this was Veronica Frost. Yeah, this this was Vanity Frost. Vanity Frost, sorry. Oh, please, you can call her whatever you want. No one knows. <laughs> she's, no one she's knows. Dead. <laughs> she's, she's dead. dead. <laughs> uh, so uh, Vanity Frost had three performances, was born while you were in college, mm-hmm. and her makeup routine was all powder. All powder. There, I don't think there was a single cream involved. It was just powder everywhere. <laughs> I gave myself mesothelioma. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? Uh, so this was in college, and then were you still in college when you kind of um, transitioned the character into Tugboat? Tugboat is kind of a recent, in the, like the past two and a half years, just, just before the pandemic, she kind of got re- rebirthed. Uh, that's we'll go with it a second coming a second coming um i spent i got a degree in musical theater so i was touring all over the country doing all kinds of stuff so i just didn't have time Mm. i was living out of a suitcase for about four years there where i was just like 
I never see anything, let alone like another person, anything. I was not about to take up the valuable space in my suitcase for any drag. So I just left it. <laughs> I love, I love this. So I was busy. I was traveling, living out of a suitcase. And I thought, why not try drag? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's literally what, what life is as any kind of performer. If oh. you're, if you're good at it and you're dedicated to it, then you do, you hit the road and you live out of a suitcase. It's, it's not the, it's not as glamorous as people assume that it is. It's not glamorous at all. Well, I mean, I was also, when I was touring, I, was, I started off with, like, touring children's theaters, uh-huh. going all around the Oh, around I did that. I did the circuit. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. The whole children's theater circuit. A little click-clack moo. Uh-huh. A little Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. A little bell kick here and there. <laughs> yep. But it was just, it's, it's kind of sad. I never, you never see anybody. You can never, like, build connections in these little towns. No. And it seems, it seems so cool at first, because I'm like, I get to see the midwest ooh, ooh iowa all these places i've never seen before and yeah like, corn-fed iowa boys are oh, gorgeous oh, yeah. Mm. well yeah the apps would be my only connection to any sort of social life in any of the towns probably to my own detriment <laughs> but even like back then the apps weren't really all that big of a thing oh, no well at least when i was touring around with theaters and stuff um so yeah my mother was always one who was like I'm so jealous. You get to go here and you get to go there. And, oh, you just get to see everything and do everything and meet everybody. And so my husband couldn't go with me on this one trip that I was doing. I invited my mother. We went to uh, Punta Cana. And the first two days, they treated us so lovely. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the days off. They're making me impressions. Yeah. And she's like made best friends with the bartender. And they had us in this private bungalow right next to the bar. And she was living her fantasy. And then show day happens. And she, no, she is literally from 6 a.m. until probably about 6 a.m. the next Mm -hmm. day. She's on that golf cart going back and forth, running and getting makeup and tits (laughs) and heels. And then then she left my shoes, so she had to go back and get those. Halfway through the day, she was like, I don't like this. Can I go back to the bar? I said, no. You look me too. Like, (laughs) Like, I love the hour that I'm on stage, but it's everything that goes around it that keeps you so busy and distracted. You don't really get to enjoy a lot of the places No, there's no time off. But that's why I started this podcast because I wanted to connect with people, like the girls from everywhere that I go. I wanted to learn a, a little bit more. So what is the local drag scene here in Hotlanta? Like, Hotlanta. Nobody um, says that, but sure. No, no, no one does say that. But, it's it's very eclectic. There is so much very strong drag in Atlanta. I mean, you have the pageant scene, you have musical theater queens everywhere. I mean, everything that you could want, you can find if you just know where to look for it in Atlanta, which I love. It's a very welcoming drag community. It's not like, oh, you don't do pageants. You're not this tiny. You can't be seen. Let's <laughs> see, Orlando was, Orlando is like that now, but when I started, Orlando was very like... The Southern pageant girls, very thin, very beautiful, um, focus on fashion, focus on body, basically all the things that I <laughs> have never been and probably never will be. Um, and it was really difficult. I had to like carve my own space out in the community. And I'm not saying it's just because of me, because there were a few of us who of really like banded together to do that. But we changed kind of the face of Dragon Orlando, yeah. you know, it really pushed it into an, an, an all-inclusive, very welcoming yeah. thing. So it's nice to hear that that's what the scene here is in Atlanta. Yeah, for sure. And it's always hard being a musical theater queen. It's like, 
no one ever wants me to do like Rose's turn at, at like the bar at two in the morning. Uh-huh. No one wants to see that, but that's what all I want to do. Yeah. I just want to get up there and just scream, have my suitcases ready to go. <laughs> I So right after um, If Then came out, which P.S., not a great show, no. uh, but is the best acting I've ever seen Adina Menzel do, mm-hmm. first of all. And second <laughs> of all, uh, I was so obsessed with Always Starting Over. I did it like three shows in a row, and they were looking at me like, um, "Can can we just get some more? Where the hell my phone?" Or like, you know, it's what not want. necessarily that, but you get the idea. And it's like, uh, yeah, you can get all of that, but this, mm-hmm. like, I have to do this one song for me. The other three, you can have whatever. exactly what you want, but please let me have this moment. Oh, my first performance in Atlanta was as long as he needs me from Oliver. Oh. Yeah. I was dressed as Rudolph. I had pictures of Tim Allen as Santa. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh we can't talk about Tim Allen too much these days. Oh, it's it's honestly sad. I'm like, you were Santa and now you're You know what's really sad is when I was growing up, how old are you? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Oh god, I'm ever so much more than twenty <laughs> myself. I'm thirty seven. So when I was growing up, um, I was basically raised by television and the the two television shows that really stuck out to me were Roseanne and home improvement because they were the closest to kind of what my upbringing was. They were real families. They were yeah. very real families. They really represented kind of my story, um, at least on the surface, you know, yeah. the nuances are different, but the characters are the same. And uh, to see that, Roseanne and Tim Allen have really, for everything that they represented back in the day, they've really kind of done a 180. 100%. And it is, it's so disheartening and it's so sad for me. Yeah. Because I, I feel like that's watching like my parents turn around 100%. and say, I know we said we'd support you and, and do all this stuff, but actually you're wrong and you're wrong and everybody's crazy except for me. Like it's Well, they came across as so relatable, so down to earth. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I guess like you really are just acting. I mean, I guess kudos to them. You did it, but. But Roseanne that's... was never that good of an actress. Like, <laughs> no. that's what I mean. It just is so. <laughs> well. Bless. Oh, say, can you see? Can you? Now, I did see her as the Wicked Witch and. and Wizard of Oz at Madison Square Garden. Oh, that I support. Fantastic. We were allowed to like her then. Fantastic. So good. Um, But really, like, so we're going to get into this in just a moment. I know that, you know, we do our Golden Gals, which has spun into the TV Land Live uh, series that we do. And you're actually doing a live stage production of the Golden Girls, which I'm I'm so sad I'm not going to be here for, but I'm very excited for y'all because I know how fun it is. Um, But just talking about, like, uh, like the whole Roseanne debacle that paired with Tim Allen. Um, it really kind of made us in our group that does the TV land live productions really want to kind of reclaim those things that oh, were, yeah. were very uh, important to us growing up. So we've decided to take back what we loved about these shows and reexamine them through a queer lens. Yeah. Um, we don't change a whole lot because I don't think that that would really uh, be as relatable, no. but we do re-examine it and we make it more accessible, I think. Uh, and so that's the whole point behind our TV Land Live series. Now, tell me a little bit about you playing 
Dorothy Spornak in the Golden Girls <laughs> and how that all came about. Um, so I work with a lovely theater here in Atlanta called Outfront Theater Company. They it are is, fantastic. They are openly fantastic. It is um, Atlanta's only LGBTQIA plus queer art space. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. It's the safe space for any sort of queer art that wants to happen. They have drag shows. They have Out on Film, which is like a, a queer film festival that happens. All, so many things. And I've just fallen in love with everyone there. So, like, I just... I've only been here for, like, 24 hours, and I'm completely in love yeah. with all, Paul and Nick and Kaylee oh, yeah. and Alex. And then, of course, yourself. And and that's only half of the staff that I've oh, met. yeah. There's so there's so much going on, but it's they are all amazing people, and I've never said no to them once, even to my own detriment. Paul would call me. <laughs> Paul's called me at like six p.m. one night. He's like, "Hi, I'm at someone's pool party. Can you come perform in drag?" And I'm like, "I I guess, Paul, I, I'll do it. So, and I'll show up." But yeah, we're doing the the lost tapes of uh, the Golden Girls, the holiday edition. So we're gonna show an episode of the Golden Girls, play a little drinking game with the audience, get it going, and then we're just gonna take off to the races. It's the script is crazy. It is wild. I've read that script. <laughs> it's from Chicago. It is from Chicago. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Bitch, it is from Chicago. Um, I read that script a couple of years ago, and you're right. It is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, it's two episodes. It is two episodes. I'm, for those of you that are just listening, I'm using air quotations on that. Two Ooh. episodes. So it's a two act thing, mm-hmm. but you're actually doing it in three acts. Because your first act, your show, you've licensed an mm-hmm. episode. We have licensed an I would episode. like to say they have licensed all of this. It is this very is legal. Um, and you're playing a drinking game. We are because I was surprised I've, as I've been talking about it. So many people have not seen the Golden Girls, and I don't know if it's just me being like raised as a queer in the South that that's just what I watch always. No, I see, there are a few people who have come to our productions mm-hmm. and said the same thing. Like, Jiggly Caliente. She came to our, our very first run of the Golden Girls ever, and she's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't know anything about it. She watched it, she fell in love with it, and during quarantine, mm-hmm. she watched the entire series. Yeah. Uh, but she, I, it was so shocking to me that she had never seen a single episode of the it's Golden wild. Girls. Because it's one of the few shows, I think, Golden Girls, I Love Lucy, Friends, mm-hmm. and th- there's like one or two more. There's never a time where an episode of that show is not playing somewhere in the world. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I mean, I read this whole big article about it a couple of years ago, and I was like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it's been translated into so many different languages. There are different versions. It's like Drag Race before Drag Race. Oh, yeah. You, you know, now we're, we're, we're kicking out. Here's Drag Race Italia. Here's Drag Race <laughs> Espana. Here's Drag Race uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like, all of it. Miss um, Walmart parking lot, 2000. <laughs> It, but the Golden Girls was very much like that. Yeah. It was every country, every region had their own version of it. Well, because those four characters, they're universal. I mean, there's always the slutty <sighs> friend, the dumb friend, like the, just the sassy one. And they describe Dorothy as just the butch one, which I think <laughs> is more just a B. Arthur description than Dorothy. Um, but yeah, I think the characters are just so universal. Everyone knows one of those people. Yeah. Well, and I think that especially, maybe that's why it resonates so much with like, the gay, the drag, the queer community is because it, each one of those girls kind of represents a different part of all of us. 100%. Like sometimes I feel slutty, sometimes I feel mm-hmm. dumb, sometimes I feel butch. Exactly. <laughs> like it, 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 there, you really can relate to each and every one of them. Um, and so, how did you end up grabbing the role of Dorothy Zbornak? 
Um, so I am just so lovely and blessed that I just got a call. Oh, <laughs> but also I've been, I've kind of been Dorothy my whole life. I've, um, one of my directors in uh, college found out that I was doing the show and he's like, he's playing Dorothy, isn't he? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> just I'm also six foot three, like out of heels. So it's like there's there's there was no world where I was going to. Well, be. it was either Dorothy or Sophia. Exactly. You know, I could be your Sophia. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, people would always ask like the interviewers who they go. So how do you how do you find the character of Blanche? Like Blanche is my mother. Down to the mm-hmm. haircut and the hoop earrings. Mm-hmm. Blanche Devereaux is Shirley Eads. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know this woman inside and out. They, she is the epitome of Southern charm mm-hmm. and elegance. It's just charm. It's just politeness. Exactly. Just to an extreme. <laughs> uh-huh. And then, like, the opposite of that is Dorothy's born act. Oh, 100%. So you being a Southern genteel lady, mm-hmm. how do you tap into the, uh, like, the, the, the brash harsh, harshness? That's just kind of who I've always been. People are always like, why do you, you, you don't ever seem to think about what you say. And I'm like, if I think about it, I won't say it. I'll never talk. That's so, true. So that just... was all of season seven for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't have a filter at all. And I don't think that Dorothy has ever had a filter. I think she's always the one that's, she's going to, she's going to say whatever she wants. She's mm-hmm. going to say the thing to the person that may have never been said before. Yeah. The episode when she walks up to the doctor who like did, misdiagnosed or just said, oh, oh yeah. you're old or something. It's iconic. It's it everything. is well, and they all had such iconic moments. Oh yeah, and they there's still like you you can sit back and watch episodes now, and you're like, how was this from thirty years ago? Mm-hmm. Because it's still so relevant to exactly what I read in the newspaper today. Yeah, like it, it it's insane how ahead of their time they were. Yeah, well, especially at that time period. Except I mean. Lord bless Coco, who got cut after the pilot episode. Wow. Their, their gay houseboy, who didn't really have much of a character, but just, I'm sassy. Oh, would leave he, the kitchen. he was <laughs> one terrible accent away from Agador Spartacus <laughs> in the birdcage. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was not great. And I also, in the pilot, um, Sophia just wasn't nearly as likable. No. She was just mean, which she, I mean, she is a she's mean, but it's done like yeah. you like uh, I so I, I know I've talked about friends twice today. That's only because um, I was on the airplane flying here and they had the friends reunion on. Sure. I never I was never a, like a fan of friends. Mm-hmm. And then when I did Dumplin' with Jennifer Aniston, I was like, oh, let me just kind of like see what it is. Yeah, I, I knew her from movies and I loved her from movies. Oh, yeah. I was like, Let me just go kind of check some of this out. Um, and then I liked it. It was, I mean, it's really problematic now, but, but I was watching the, um, the reunion and they were talking about, um, oh God, what were we talking about? I'm losing it y'all. You know what? This is a perfect time for us (laughs) to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We will be right back. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. 
And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Make sure you go try that fabulous product because I'm using it right now. Mm -hmm. Now, we did have a quick discussion. We figured out what we were talking about. So my train of thought getting back on track right now, watching the Friends reunion, and they were saying that the most difficult role to cast was Rachel Green. Yeah. And I was thinking in my head, I was like, how are any of these really difficult to cast? Like, it's a perfect cast, and that's what made the show. But there weren't any, like, super specific types. You know, it was like broad strokes at the beginning. And then something made a lot of sense. It really clicked in my head. They said, Rachel Green is a wholly unlikable character on paper. So you need somebody that is completely lovable Mm -hmm. to balance it out and make it work. And I will agree. Like Jennifer Anderson was the right choice for that. And then I I stopped and I thought about the episodes I had seen. And I was like, yeah, she's pretty terrible as a person. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it was the performance that made it work. Exactly. And I think that it's the same thing with Estelle Getty. It's so Because if you look at the script, everything she says is just mean. She's hating on Dorothy. She's hating on everyone. She says anything she wants, Mm. Uh, which I just recently rewatched. And apparently in the first episode, they explain, oh, she had a stroke in that part of her brain that filters it. (laughs) They never address that anywhere else in the season. Anywhere else. But as long as it's addressed at the beginning. But like on paper, she... She is just the rudest person, but Estelle somehow finds the heart behind everything and has some really, really warm moments throughout the show. Absolutely. Uh, are there any moments you are particularly looking forward to? Oh, um, it's not. So, I, I'm off stage doing a change for this, but we have we have a chainsaw ballet, which I know means <laughs> nothing. But basically. Um, Rose is having a fever dream. She doesn't want to. She wishes she never came to Miami is kind of the premise of one of them. And she's just like the three ghosts basically taking it's a little bit of a Christmas carol kind of feel. <laughs> um, and she's just having it is just wild. There's uh, Sophie is a drug mule. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And there's chainsaws involved. I it love all of wild. that. Set to Tchaikovsky, of course. Well, is there any other way? Maybe not. All right. So. You're doing the Golden Girls, the Christmas, the, the Lost Christmas episodes. That is opening December 10th. December 10th. So it'll be open by the time this airs, I believe. It'll be open that week. Mm-hmm. And then it runs through the 19th. The 19th. Yeah. And on Fridays and Saturdays, we have 8 p.m. and 10.30 shows. Okay. So the late shows, I think, are going to be wild. In the theater, like, you don't do a late show. People get mad that there are shows at 8, not 7.30. They're like, I've got to get to bed. <laughs> so the 10.30 crowd is going to be wild when's your matinee <laughs> yeah. uh yeah oh my gosh i'll never forget we were doing um evil dead the musical oh. and i got to play jake which was really fun but they would do like the regular 8 p.m shows mm-hmm. and then it was so popular they added like a 10 30 mm-hmm. p.m and we did that and it was insane and crazy those sold out so they started adding 1 a.m shows i have That's never so in my life experienced <laughs> 
the energy of a crowd that wants to go see a musical at one o'clock in the morning. Especially Evil Dead. Well, Evil Dead, yeah. (laughs) It was, I can't even fathom. Like, it was crazy. I can't imagine the energy, especially at 1 a.m., especially for you in the show. And you need that energy. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. doing it three times back to back, Mm -hmm. that's a show that doesn't really seem like it stops at any point. It doesn't. (laughs) Luckily, I came in at the end of Act One, and I had, like, a great song. Then I went away for a while and came back and had a great song and got killed. That was fine, but it was always scrubbing off the blood. So much blood. <laughs> so much blood. We had to scrape it off, like, oh, and then get back in mm-hmm. pre-blood. So we were like, put it stains. You know? Oh, it 100% Especially does. Especially community theater blood oh, stains. Yeah. So we're in there, and we're like uh, like putting um, foundation and powder on, just trying to cover up the blood stains. It it didn't work. Everyone looks a little burnt by that one damn yeah. show. Like, What's <laughs> happening here? It's like four layers of, of pancake there. <laughs> so Theater Queen, that's uh, where you got your start. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you're rooted in still today. It's still what I'm rooted in. And, and, and it's difficult because there are very few t- places where I think theater and drag overlap that's already existing. Yes. There, there's, it's like, oh, you can be Ed now, or you can, there's other roles, there's specific roles, and it's just finding the places like Outfront Theater who are willing to be like, it doesn't matter what gender or what, any, any, none of that yeah. matters. We're telling a story at the end of the day. Well, yeah, and I think that especially in live theater, which is why it's always really kind of bothered me that for um, the musical theater world or the live theater world in general to house such a, a queer community we are always kind of the last ones in line are. who are like being progressive and taking chances on our own community yeah. and it, it's been really disheartening to see like we're telling a story and when you're in a live theatrical venue you have that automatic um suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. where anybody can do anything, anything and yeah you could make all kinds of magic i wanted to play um uh, Annie Oakley. Oh, that's and, a Annie, get your gut. drag role. And I was like, yeah, but somebody was like, you can't do that because she was a real person. I said, yeah, but it's also a musical theater performance. She didn't break out into song in her real life. Well, yeah, she, well, she also was 16 years old and yeah. Bernadette Peters was 50-something when Ethel, she played it. Ethel Merman? Ethel Merman. <laughs> like, like, you're taking liberties already. And if it's being done, like, um, the, the revival... It was so brilliant that yeah. they set the whole thing inside the circus tent, and it was a show within a show. If it's a show within a show, you already have that conceit set. Exactly. Like you already have people that are going, "Okay, well, I'm going to buy anything because they're just telling a story," and I don't see any reason why I can't play. What you're going to have to find somewhere that's going to make you Annie. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul asked me last <laughs> night, the artistic director for the theater. He said, "What roles would you like to do?" I was like, uh, "Well, if you're offering." Yeah. <laughs> I'll be happy to play Annie Oakley and Annie Get Your Gun, Miss mm-hmm. Mona, and Best Little Whorehouse uh-huh. in Texas. Oh, that another perfect drag role. That like, is a that's a hundred percent. Well, and it, it was I mean, done Dolly's, by I was, Dolly's she already is a drag, drag queen. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So how did you find your your niche? Like because you're very correct. Like there's very few instances where drag and musical theater kind of intersect already. I think it's just a matter of surrounding yourself with the people who are willing to take the chance. Because mm-hmm. so many theaters, it's like, oh, we can't, we can't cast a person of color as like Lori in in Oklahoma. It's like, well, well, why can't you? You're the only one what? holding yourah. yourself back from that. Yeah. And so it's just a matter of finding 
the person or the people, the artistic community, like I have it out front, that's just willing to say, yes, let's do that. Let's do something different. Because there's been 9,000 productions of Oklahoma. We we get, like, you can try something new. It'll be fine. Rogers exactly. and Emerson will be okay. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. And the thing is, if it doesn't work at the end of the day, then you move on and you exactly. try something else. Exactly. Like, that's, that's what I love so much about just live performance in general. Even if you do the same thing, like I, like with Winter Wonderland, tonight's show is not going to be exactly what happened last night. Oh, it'll no be completely sh- different, no I guarantee you. <laughs> no show is ever exactly the same, and that's what I love. People are always like, Atlanta is a huge hub for film these days. It's like, oh, why don't you get into that? I'm like, I'm just selfish. I need that instant gratification. Yeah. I can't sit around. I can't sit around waiting for like, but what if I'm bad? No one told me. And I can't, <laughs> it comes out and like, oh, this person was terrible. It's so funny that you mentioned that. What like years ago, um, before Drag Race, and then immediately following, I was like, I'm focusing on stage. It's what I've always done. It's what I love. I don't want to do movies. I don't want to do TV because, again, mm-hmm. it's like there's no audience. There's no instant gratification. I I can't change something. Because yep. in front of an audience, I'm very intuitive. Like I'm sure you are oh, as yeah. well. Well, I know you are because I watched you last night you get a sense of what's working, what's not immediately. Mm-hmm. And then you cater to that. Exactly. And you can't do that when you're working on a film project. No. Cause it's just you and a camera. It's like quarantine. You just stare at the camera and hope a joke is landing. It's it, all of the, like the zoom drag yeah. thing, any of that stuff. It was so uncomfortable. Just like, ah, uh, and hope for laughter. But then I started doing TV and film projects mm-hmm. and, and I retrained myself as an actor. Like it's a totally different process. It and it's equally as gratifying in a very different way. But I had been doing that for so long that mm-hmm. when I went back to doing theater, theater and not just like drag shows, but theater, theater, it was, I don't want to say like riding a bike because it wasn't. I had to retrain yeah, myself. Of course. But it was also like stepping back into your house for the mm-hmm. first time in 20 years. You're like, oh my oh. gosh, there's there's you. And, and you, you were, were there. there and and you-, you were there. <laughs> it's uh-huh. very that. It's like a warm hug. Um, so what, can, what do you do like uh, – what is your typical drag schedule? Oh, woof. Um, I haven't – I have – not performed in as many places in Atlanta as I've liked would like to like bar wise. It's always so weird. Cause I'm never going to get up there and do a Dua Lipa song and do a death drop. Like yeah. I, my knees aren't built for that. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I am not the one. Um, so it's just finding the, the little events here and there. I'd love my favorite thing to do is bingo. I, I love hosting bingo. It's, it's the lowest stakes, but the highest payoff. It's harder than people think oh, too. Yeah. It is literally just you doing a stand-up routine mm-hmm. for two and a half hours. Yeah. It is so difficult. Yeah. It's stressful. It is. And so Gidget and I, we do bingo every mm-hmm. week at Hamburger Mary's in Orlando. We've done it for years. It, it, we love it. It's mm-hmm. a great gig. Um, and we miss it when we're away. But people always go, oh, it's bingo. Girl, anybody can do bingo. So we book those people to mm-hmm. say anybody can do bingo. Go for it. And then it's <laughs> halfway through, they're texting us. What do I do? Uh-huh. This is so much harder uh-huh. than I thought. I don't have any more songs. You I don't have any you more can't jokes. Pause bingo. It's got to keep going. Everyone's there. Like they're there for the win. You're, you're yeah. right. Keep pulling the balls, bitch. <laughs> and keep making jokes. Yeah. That's another good thing. It moves so fast. If your jokes don't land, you go on to the next I've ball. I've got 10 more coming up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite bingo joke? 
Oh, well, we do weird bingo. I don't do, we don't do numbers. It's like, yeah. it's like a combination of trivia or like divas. Like, you're like, you've got like this TV show on your card. And like, I'm going to say a quote from a movie that I've pulled out of this little thing and you've got to figure it out. So it's, I can't remember what it was, but someone just kept yelling at the screen. We showed these divas that it was Meryl Streep. We're like, it's not Meryl Streep. <laughs> um, they, they were like, "That is Tamar Braxton." That's Tamar. No, it, it was it was something like, <laughs> "Like, 100%. are you not familiar with any demons?" I mean, we we did we did serve alcohol, so I mean, maybe yeah. there's the distance, and but even still, like, there's she was no serving. Way. Meryl Streep is is great. She can she can do any role just about yeah. as, but it is not. Tamar Braxton, she is not. <laughs> now watch, we say that, and then like two days, we'll be like, starring in the Tamar Braxton story is Meryl Streep. Oh, I would love to watch that Lifetime original. That's, oh, that's those are the best movies. They are. It's So the rest of the year, I love Lifetime original movies. Because they're so bad, but mm-hmm. so good at the same time. Especially the unauthorized biographies of all the old TV shows. And then at Christmas time, around the holidays, it's nothing but, like, terrible Hallmark Christmas movies. And they're great. They're so good. They're all exactly the same. Exactly the same. But it doesn't matter. But they're I don't so care. good. And as long as it's got Candace Cameron or Lori Loughlin, <laughs> I know they're problematic. But them finding but still, their terrible little uh, hometown love. Exactly. And just ha- so happens to be a prince. Uh, exactly. Like always right. a prince. But I thought you fixed elevators. <laughs> yeah. No, they're so bad. Yeah. Oh, Santa Claus is your friend? <laughs> yeah, I love them yeah. so much. That is the holidays. Yeah. Well, I did I did a Christmas movie. By the time this airs, this will it'll be out. Uh it's called How the Bitch Stole Christmas. <gasps> I've I've seen ads for that. It looks incredible. Yeah. I'm actually one of the stars of the movie, but they oh. haven't been promoting that. So I'm gonna promote it myself. It's really fun. So like our our group is me, Peppermint, Brooklyn Heights, and Jan. Oh. And uh, the leader of the opposite group, like, like our arch nemesis, is James Mansfield. And it's so funny. <laughs> the movie is great. It's really good. I hope people are enjoying it at this point. Um, so what are your big aspirations? Like, where do you want to go either with your character or without? It's oh, People always ask this. It's always like, so, wh- so what do you want to do for real? And it's like, <laughs> Uh, especially being in theater, people are always like, "So, what? How are you going to pay the bills?" Yeah, I I'm mean, an actor. I'm an actor. Oh, okay. what restaurant do you work well, at? You, exactly. Um, I I would love to be on Broadway. I would love to just always keep performing. But I realize that that's not that's not always attainable, and that's okay. Everyone wants to, not everyone, but everyone in theater is like, "Oh, that's the dream." But after a certain yeah. point, you're like, "I just want to keep performing." Yeah, I, I don't I don't care where. I mean, obviously, I'd like to make a, tons of money doing it, but. <laughs> But even on Broadway, you're not going to make no, tons of money. because you're spending it all in rent for a 200-square-foot closet that is your studio apartment. That part. Well, that was another big thing, you know, going from doing TV and film, mm-hmm. where the budget is a lot different to, like, when Jinx and I, we, we went in to do the Xanadu tour, you know, we're making equity. Yeah. And it just was such a fraction of what we had been used to, to making um, you know, in in there's bills that go along with oh, that. 100%. It, it, like, there's a part of me too that's like, how do people survive off of this? No, because we were living in New York at the time, mm-hmm. paying all those exorbitant yeah. rents, and the the Uber fares are so crazy, and the food is crazy. Like, it just didn't seem feasible. No, well, no one goes into theater for to make for money. no. no. <laughs> <laughs> But if that's your goal, you are in the wrong industry. It is not. 
So what is your dream role? Oh, if I could be any single thing. I, it's so weird because no one's ever going to do this show again. I want to be Auntie Mame. <gasps> Not right now. It's it's openly one of my... Jerry Herman is my favorite composer, oh. hands down. I love... So I directed Mame. I love Mame so much. I, I told Cheryl Lee Ralph I wanted her to be Auntie Mame. Wouldn't she be perfection? 100%. Like, she is the epitome of Auntie Mame. 100%. Oh, I just love it. It's such a fun story. The and music, the is, music so is beautiful. Incredible. So incredible. Beautiful. Oh, you've seen the movie with Lucille Ball. <laughs> it's wild. Now, I'm one of the few freaks who actually enjoyed the movie. Oh. It is not a good representation of the stage show. It is not at all. But I I will always love Lucy. Oh, I was I was raised on TV land. That's why I, I was raised by my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I didn't listen to, like, top 40 hits until I was probably in high school. Everything was... Elvis, the Supremes, and yeah. only watch TV Land or CNN. Ours was, was always on. like Tammy Wynette and Tanya Tucker <laughs> and Dolly Parton. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Lucy, Lucy kind of raised me. So I, anything that she's in, I, I think she can do no wrong. Can we take a slight deviation here? What do you think about this being the Ricardos movie with Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem? Oh, I want it to be so good. I want it to be so good as well. And I have a sliver of hope because Lucy Arnaz Mm -hmm. said, oh, I've seen it. What they've done is brilliant. It really tells a great story and she does a great job. But I think I join a lot of people out there. I know I join a lot of people who've been posting on Twitter that are like, how do you get one of the most facially limited, like expression limited Mm -hmm. actresses to play one of the most expressive actresses yeah. ever. Everything was in Lucy's face. She had she, physical comedy to a T. Yeah. And Nicole Kidman is a fantastic actress. 100%. I've loved her in so many things for so many years. Uh, but I just don't see the connection there. I don't. Well, I will I will I will say I didn't see the connection with Renée Zellweger and and Judy Garland. Exactly. And I think she did. She nailed wonderful. it. Wonderful. She did a fantastic job. But I was one of those people when the oh, trailer yeah. came out, I was like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Her eyes are too small. Judy exactly. had giant doe mm-hmm. eyes and but then I saw the movie. I wanted to hate watch it. Oh, I did too. I wept <laughs> the entire thing. And I did too. I was like, okay, this this you is did. perfect. You you it made sense. And I'm really hoping that's what this is. I want it to be so, so good. Because there, there's there been, I think there's like a lifetime story about the Ricardo. Oh, that came out. from 2003, it starred uh, Rachel York. Yes, yes. Broadway actress, for those of you who Wonderful. don't know. Wonderful. She is, she is amazing. Fantastic. Uh, and it was good. It was more about, uh, like, the show. It was more yeah. about I Love Lucy and that side. And I know that this takes... Um, it takes place like during one week of filming an episode, but it's more about the personal side of yeah. their their life. So I'm interested. I feel like from the trailer, she did a good job with Lucy's voice. Oh yeah. Um, the prosthetics are a little scary to me. When I saw the image, when the image came out, I was like, "This this might be my sleep paralysis demon going." Forward. Yeah, it was. It, the cheeks are a little too full. Yeah, I think, but who knows? That am I. Just be Whatever that, shot. that still was exactly. exactly. It might just be that shot, um, but I I am very interested. I I also don't think he looks or sounds anything like Desi. I don't either, and I love Javier. I think yeah. I think he can do it. I think he's a wonderful actor. But again, I, when I saw that casting, I was like, hmm, interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know who I would put in his place, but, but still. Then all of these people are out there just screaming and up in arms because they feel like Deborah Messing was robbed. I mean... And she looks exactly like Lucille Ball. Yeah. But if you watch that episode of Will and Grace where they did it, she doesn't really do Lucy. Yeah. She looked just like her, and I think that that's what made the performance even a little bit more difficult to watch was because you looked at her and you were like, yes, that's Lucy. This is Lucy Ricardo right mm-hmm. here. I know you're going to nail. It. And then it was so different. It wasn't bad. No, but it was very different. So I think that maybe the fact that she looks so much like Lucy could have been distracting. Oh, for sure. Cause you're expecting it to be Lucy. Yeah. Well, also I'm wondering if Nicole is, is more of the Lucille ball and not Lucy Ricardo. Like it's like, yeah, she is she because Lucy and Lucille were very different people. Yes, like she absolutely. was not her character, which is and it was very hard for people to separate people from their characters sometimes. And that one is like one of the most iconic. Believe me, characters. I know. Oh. <laughs> I know. Uh huh. <laughs> They're um, like, why don't you say something funny and dance around? I I don't. I don't have my wig. Money, please. Uh, I don't have my dancing shoes uh-huh. right now, or my good teeth. Don't make me dance. <laughs> don't make me dance. Don't make me sing. Gonna bring my tools. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite musical of all time? Oh. It's probably Sunday in the Park with George. Sunday in the Park with George. I think I think it is his best score. I, it, just from start to finish, I can just listen to the music and I weep. I also love a little light music. It's it's been a rough week for me losing Sondheim. Yeah, I I disagree about Sunday in the Park with George being his best. Like I feel like Sweeney Todd is perfect from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you can't cut one note. Or word from Sweeney no. Todd without it just destroying it. And I think that the movie really proved that. Because yeah. that movie should have been fantastic. It's it's made to be filmed. Like it's it's it made to be filmed and it is it was made to be filmed by um what's his name? Uh, Tim Burton. I'm spooky. Yes, oh, yeah. Tim Burton. I'm spooky. <laughs> <laughs> it was made to be filmed by him. Like that is his aesthetic. Yeah. Johnny Depp wasn't bad no not my my first choice no. but wasn't bad helen bonham carter absolutely nothing like what mrs lovett should be no. uh and they, they he just got the characters wrong yeah like mrs lovett is supposed to be over the top fun and funny and sassy and manic yeah because it really offsets sweeney's really laid back kind of he is very Energy. casual for everything that he does. Very, and uh, but I think that that's important because whenever you get to moments like uh, like I will have vengeance, yeah. I will, those need to stand out. Yeah, but there was no balance there. Toby is not supposed to be a child. No, he's supposed to be. Um, he's supposed to be a man child. Yeah, like somebody who just intellectually is not where he is physically. Yeah. you know, and that's what makes him scary is because mm-hmm. he's supposed to be bigger and hulking and capable of harm. Exactly. Um, and he was like a, like a, a child, like a child, child. child. Like, that's not, they turn him into the artful Dodger. Yes. And it didn't work. And it just, when they started cutting out all of, all, all of the, the swing your razor high, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, in the tail of Sweeney Todd, it, it, it took the whole heart work. of the movie out. It, I think it is one of the more difficult things trying to adapt a musical to film. I mean, as you can see, like any of the this this live on NBC or Fox, some of it just doesn't work because you lose you lose so much of the 
the urgency yeah. of things in a show. And the show is like it doesn't stop. There's the energy always moving well, forward. Well, you lose the intimacy between the performer and the crowd yeah. as well. Um, I'm looking forward to the Annie Live. I, I think I'm one of the few people because, like, even at first when they announced it, I was like, "Another Annie! This is our yeah. fourth Annie. We've, we've, we've seen Annie. it. We've done it. Let's move on." But then um, seeing her at the at Thanksgiving the, Day Parade, she's incredible. She's incredible. She's the most charming child I think I have ever seen. I think she is the epitome of little orphan Annie, down to the chubby cheeks. <laughs> And that sweet voice that is still so big and optimistic. I'm really excited. I am for her. super excited. And I was very surprised at Harry Connick Jr. in that yeah. I was like, You're when they that was the one I questioned. We were like, he's Daddy Warhol. Well, I saw him in pajama game. Sure. So I knew I was like, Oh, he's got this musical theater thing yeah. down. Like he'll be good at that. He's not a dancer. No, sure. Well, look, look, look he's Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> he's Daddy Warbucks, exactly. <laughs> but I found them so charming and great chemistry. And Nicole Scherzinger, a lot of people oh, don't yeah. realize how incredible her voice is. Oh, she, if you've, I'm sure you've seen her memory from Cats. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Have you, you seen it, her Phantom of the Opera? Incredible. So good. Incredible. I like her too on The Masked Singer. Yes. It's so good. I want to be on The Masked Singer so bad. Speaking into existence. Just put I'm going to speak it. Well, they'll be like, well, now you've said it. We, can, <laughs> we can't put you who on. Who are you? Oh, it's Ginger. Oh, it's Ginger. <laughs> yeah. Ginger claimed it. All right. I'm going to ask you four questions Perfect. that I ask all of my guests. Question number one. What is your definition of a local queen? Ooh, that's super fun. Um, I think especially in the day and age where drag race is everywhere, drag race has given a platform to so many stars and artists like yourself that we even had people like last night at your show, people picked up our Golden Girls ticket or like little family was like, ooh, is Ginger in this? And we were like, no, she's not. We have some amazing local queens and they just like sat it back down and walked off. And it's like, uh, I mean, you would be amazing in it, but there is there are so many local queens that are amazing and different yeah. and just so, so incredibly talented and new. And oh, there's so much out there that I feel like people are like, I haven't seen you on TV. I don't want to come watch. Yeah. Which is, is valid. I understand. Like there's something to be said about star quality and be like, Oh, just like, Oh, it's fame. It's like to be like so close. I, I understand that, but it's like, but can I tell you something real yeah. quick? Just bouncing off of that. I, I get that because, you know, I grew up in Orlando doing drag. Mm-hmm. There was Roxy and there was Tyra. Oh, and yeah. there was at that point, there was Coco and detox, like all of these drag race legends. And I would be doing shows with them. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. I was the one that hadn't been on TV. So I was, I could have given the best performance of the night. I could have sat on stage and solved like the, the cure, come up with a cure for world mm-hmm. hunger to end it. And people would have been like, eh, that's nice. Whatever. Roxy, go flip your hair back and Do forth it. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was ignored and I was treated poorly by the fan base. And then literally a year later, these same people are coming up and fawning over me. And it's like, why? I was literally here in your backyard the whole time. Nothing has changed except your airtime. Exactly. Right yeah. And to, to be completely honest, my performance was probably better a year ago. Yeah, sure. Because I was younger, my knees were better. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't smoke as much and I wasn't as tired. Yeah. And it just, it's so, that's why I, I really wanted to do this podcast. Because I feel like, as I've traveled the world and I've met so many incredible queens like yourself, it's like everybody's got such a story. Everybody does drag for such 
different reasons, but they're also universal. And I just want people to hear these stories. A hundred percent, because there's so much out there in people's backyards mm-hmm. that you can get out and see and support any of these local queens because it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Like it is not just like, oh, I, well, you did a three minute song. Like how tiring could that be? And you didn't think about the ask my mother. Yeah. She knows exactly now. <laughs> The like 18 hours of work that you put in just that day to make sure everything's together and you had to circle back around because the shoes got left or something like that. Or the four minute number that it took me five hours to mix. Yeah. Because God forbid we go out there and do a song Mm -hmm. from a CD, a CD from (laughs) iTunes. Uh We can't do that. No. Because expectations are so high. You sit down and, and you pull... 500 music clips so you exactly. can mix them all down. 30 sound effects, everything like <laughs> exactly. this long monologue from Mommy Dearest you've got to <laughs> slam into there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think drag has just elevated so quickly in since Drag Race has been on TV. I think it's just everyone's just been like, everyone knew that drag existed. Like, it's yeah. always been there. But now that it's had this like worldwide platform that it's just like, Oh, now everything is just like, everyone's always one upping each other. It's like, yeah. How can I reveal that all of my limbs have been fake this whole time? And I can <laughs> levitate or something. It's like, I, I can't, I can't imagine like drag race, like season 25, like what they have to do to like on roller skates, levitating on like a, it's wild. And, and RuPaul just won't be there. <laughs> She'll be outside the studio, just smoking a cigarette or something. <laughs> Y'all were great. You're, You're doing fine. It. Yeah. <laughs> You're all eliminated. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So question number two. What is the worst, most embarrassing performance you've ever given? Oof. Oh, it's honestly probably. No, no. It, it wasn't my first performance when I was Vanity Frost. It was my second performance. I was in just a little drag competition down in Valdosta, Georgia. Valdosta? That's yeah, it's the last last real exit on 75 before you get to Florida. <laughs> There's nothing there. It was I think the theme of this week's competition was like pride or something and I'm like what could what could I possibly do? Well, I can't do um um what is it? I will survive again because I just did that last week. So what can <laughs> I do this week? Oh, I'll do I'll do um I kissed a girl and I liked it. Katy Perry. <laughs> I, and that is not me. I am not the pop queen. I got up there and just clothes that I borrowed from my roommate's closet. I was just like, ooh, this is really and fun. <laughs> and I honestly don't think a single person was entertained. No, not it, even you. Not even. Least of all me. I was just up there just like frilling around. I like made out with my friend who was there because like I got to kiss a girl. And then afterwards you're like, let's, let's hear it for Vanity. <laughs> give it up for vanity vanity give it up give it up it's time <laughs> uh, my, my friend doug he um he's our stanley's Bornack and golden Gal. well he actually he plays like every yeah. guest starring role um <laughs> he always does this thing right before we walk on stage the theme song for whatever show we're doing will start and he'll grab our hands and he'll say hey if you have fun they'll have fun mm-hmm. and it's something that you know we we make fun of them for it all the time but it's so true true. unless you're doing something that entertains you and makes you happy it's not gonna come across well to the audience oh yeah i was trying to be someone i wasn't i was trying to be like oh this is what drag is supposed to be yeah mimicking what i've seen and it's just be yourself that's what i've it's my favorite thing about drag is it can be whatever you want anything there's no like five boxes to check like it's like, oh, that's drag now. It's like, you can literally do anything. Yeah, I've seen it. 
<laughs> I've seen it all. All right. Question number three. What is the performance you are most proud of in your career? Most proud of. So it's probably the most fun I've ever had on stage in drag. I got to play in a Christmas with the Crawfords at out front. It's just, it's just, it's just wild. Just a bunch of celebrities just happened upon, um, uh, Joan, Joan Crawford. Crawford's house. And I had the lovely opportunity to play Shirley Temple in act one, <laughs> and Gloria Swanson in act two. Oh, well, they are one of the same. They, they really are. They really are close. And getting Trade to be, the curls for a turban. Yeah, exactly. Just cover it up. It was great not having to be in a wig for a whole act. I was like, this is everything. <laughs> um, but getting to be Gloria Swanson on stage, and it was in no way what who Gloria was as a person, but just to, absolute chaos. Absolute chaos. I mean, everyone was entering in from like the doorbell because they were coming to visit. They were like looking for a Christmas party. And I was like, okay, so this is a little extra, but you have a staircase. Can can Gloria just have been living in the attic and come down the staircase? And I just like, oh, down. The, it's it's just the most fun I've ever had on stage because I, I got to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. The Jen Acker who directed that was just like, this is chaos. None of this is real. We're like, none of these people are what we're showing right now. <laughs> Live your best life. And it's, it was incredible. I love that. Uh, my final question for you. What would your advice be for any up-and-coming queen? Get out there and do it. <laughs> I feel like it's yeah. like so much of you. There's so much fear of like, well, what if I'm not good? Okay. Not everyone is good every single time. You've no. Got, you've got to be bad a lot. to. I mean, even on Drag Race. Watch it. Like, there yeah. are weeks where... Somebody who has been doing really well will suddenly fall into the bottom. Not everybody is perfect. No, and not everyone is perfect at everything. Like, you may have your niche, but I I think Drag Race is specifically, you can, like, someone could literally be the top for, like, three weeks in a row, and all of a sudden, your lips, and you're gone. Oh, so season seven, I had been, like, in the top or close to the top, and then all of a sudden, we get to a sewing challenge, and I'm like, oh, I guess I am in the bottom. Like, it, yeah, everybody has strengths and weaknesses, and you can't be afraid to fail. No, because failing is how you're going to grow as yes, an artist. exactly. That's how you're going to figure out what doesn't work. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just kind of throw spaghetti at a wall and see what sticks. Yeah. That is my life thing. I wrote a song about it. It's on my Double White Diva <laughs> album. It's called Sticks. And it is, my philosophy yeah. of life is throw it up against the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. And that's how you have to be. Yeah. As anything, as an actor, as a drag queen, as uh, somebody who works at the bank, as somebody who works at McDonald's. Just a person in life, Like, just try shit until something feels right for you. That's my biggest fear in life is always is complacency. I never want to feel like I'm stuck and just be like, 20 years of my life have gone by. And, like, I would rather be broke doing what I love than be rich, like, the days just blending together into, like, into a gray blob. Absolutely. I I lied. I have one more question. Mm. Where can our followers find you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram at Tugboat the Queen. I also have a Twitter at Tugboat the Queen, but I just, I don't know how to tweet. I, <gasps> it just doesn't work. I mean, I, I say Tweeting things. is my favorite. I, I, I just need to, I just need to get back into it. I just type things and I'm like, well, this isn't funny. And then I delete it and I'm like. It doesn't have to be funny yeah. though. Like I'm literally like, hey, I had eggs for breakfast. You guys like eggs? <laughs> and, but to me, it's just, it's all about, um a jumping off point for a conversation. Yeah. And again, like I was saying about this podcast, like everybody's got a story and every story is interesting. Yeah. Every story. You've got to listen in. You just have to tune in. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll post something like, like that, like, ah, I'm having eggs. Do you like eggs? And people will, they'll jump in with like, 
yes, I'll never forget. I was cooking eggs with my grandmother when I was five years old and the, the, the grease from the bacon in the pan next to it popped over yeah. and it got my eye yeah. and now I've got a glass eye and people call me Sandy Duncan. So I'm doing Peter Pan. <laughs> like it just spirals yeah. into these things. And it's so interesting. To yeah. me. That's why I love Twitter. I think I just need to be not, not to learn to not be afraid to like, who cares if anyone take your own advice, like, literally Don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Well, Find me on Twitter. Find her on Twitter. <laughs> She's going to be a tweeting up a storm now. Uh, and as always, you can find me at gingerminge.com. Uh, all of my social media is linked right there. Thank you so much for joining me Thank today, you. Tugboat. I've had such a good time. I've had a blast. And I can't wait to see your performance this evening so as funny. well. Uh, and for all of you out there, make sure that you get your tickets for our holiday tour. It is at gingermingelive.com with Gidget Galore and myself. Make sure you like subscribe comment and share everything about this podcast and until next time remember to support your local league because they are your hometown heroes we're out